Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 26. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Did you hear what he just said? He's talking about those things which are shaken as opposed to those things which cannot be shaken. And he said, let us give thanks to our God for an unshakable kingdom. Doesn't this time (laughs) kind of help you think about what can be shaken and what can't be shaken? And what is it that can be removed? And what is it that's always going to be there and cannot be taken away? That's what the Hebrew writer is talking about. And it's in those times when there are things that are taken away that really helps you to see what cannot be taken. And what the Hebrew writer is saying is, be thankful That He has given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. No matter what else happens, this cannot be taken away. Now we've talked about a kingdom before, right? (laughs) In our classes, and I brought this up before. What's necessary in order for there to be a kingdom? There has to be a king. There has to be a law. There has to be subjects, and there has to be territory. So there's a king, and there's a law, the new covenant, and there are subjects, there are Christians, and there's territory. That's their hearts over which he rules. And he says this kingdom cannot be taken away. It cannot be shaken. And so in times like this, And as the Hebrew writer is suggesting, it helps us to see what can be taken away and what can't be taken away. Hold that thought. And actually this morning as we go down through this, there's going to be a lot of thoughts to be held because I'm just going to kind of scatter these together and you put the pieces together. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter and about verse 13. It's that famous chapter... 1 Corinthians 13, that's all about love, right? And in the last verse of that chapter, Paul writes, Now there are three things that abide. There's faith, there's hope, and there's love. And the greatest of these is love. He said, these three things abide. They stay. (laughs) They're permanent. And those three things, it's faith, it's hope, and it's love. We read from Malachi chapter 3 a moment ago, and about verses 16 through 18 there. 
A lot of people know John 3.16. But if you ask them, what about Malachi 3.16? That's not quite as popular. But in Malachi chapter 3, Malachi is writing during a time... It's difficult. And those lessons that I've been sending out on Sundays about the Ezra and Nehemiah time frame, that's that time frame. They've come back from Babylonian captivity. They are back in the city. They are trying to rebuild. They are trying to reestablish worship. They're trying to rebuild the temple, trying to rebuild the walls. And they're, they're faced with challenges. Not difficult or not easy times. There's difficulties there. But in Malachi chapter 3, it says, Those who feared the Lord, those who feared the Lord, spoke with one another. And the Lord heard them. Hey, difficult times. And there's some that are talking about me. And he said, a book of remembrance was written of those who feared him and esteemed his name. You know what that's saying? (laughs) Difficult times came. They were living in difficult times. And they were talking about the Lord. Some of them were. And it said, the Lord heard them. And he said, a book of remembrance was made. In other words, the Lord... Wrote that down. (laughs) You didn't forget me. I want you to know I won't forget you. Can we see that? So the coronavirus comes along, right? (laughs) And boom, it's just kind of dropped on us. We didn't have time to get together (laughs) and say, hey, when it gets here, this is what we ought to do, didn't we? And since that happened, I was looking back through my text the other day. I text, I think it was Brian or somebody, and I said, hey, on April 5th, when we get back together, <laughs> and that was at the end of March, which we had already been out two weeks, and we're thinking, we'll, we'll be back. Just real short. Almost sounds like the Jews going into captivity, doesn't it? <laughs> it won't be long. We'll be back. Hang on, we'll be back. <laughs> and, and I'm texting, we'll be back. But we weren't. And after that, I talked to a lot of folks. <laughs> some folks I wanted to hear from, some I didn't want to hear from. <laughs> but I talked to a lot of folks, and a lot of people were doing different things, and you can go and check around all over the country, and people doing different things about religion <laughs> and about worship. We didn't have time to get together and talk about this. But didn't it make you think? I hope it did. What should we do? And so think about this. Something was shaken. Wasn't it? And what got shook, we couldn't come together on the first day of the week. So wait a minute, what remains? If that can be taken away, then what remains? And so I started thinking about these things. Separated from each other. But you're not separated from God. Can you see that? 
separated from each other, but you're not separated from God. There were some people that were acting like that they'd gotten separated from God. And you need to stop and think, wait a minute. <laughs> there are some things that can be shaken. There's some things that cannot be shaken. And the things that cannot be shaken, right now, that's what I need to focus on. So I thought, how's all this apply? And where's God? And I'm thinking, pretty sure he's there. <laughs> but where do I look? And what came to mind was the book of Esther. Remember Esther? I was going to ask you a question before that, but I kind of already given it away, but I'll go ahead and ask the question anyway. <laughs> Two books in the Bible where God's name is not mentioned. The Song of Solomon is one, and guess what the other one is? Esther. <laughs> You're fast learning. But Esther comes to mind. Why would Esther come to mind? Because if there's one book that you're going to point to in God's Word that proves or shows the providence of God, you look at the book of Esther. A young Jewish girl, a Persian king, a man that hates the Jews, and an uncle that loves his niece and is trying to look out for the Jewish people. Now, if you had someone that was threatening you and your people, what would you do? Well, the first thing I'd probably do is I'd be running around trying to get an army together. And we'll, we'll defeat these people. <laughs> but that's not what happens. This young Jewish girl ends up in front of the king, finds favor with him, ends up married to the king and then the Jewish people are saved and the one that hated them and wanted to see their annihilation is put to death and God's name is never mentioned how did that happen? <laughs> you know how it happened his name is never mentioned but his hand is all over that thing isn't it? So I think about this time and I say, where's God? Well, I'm telling you, His hand's all over this thing. And so I think about what can't be shaken. Well, the kingdom can't be shaken. Faith, hope, and love abide. That can't be shaken. There are some things that can be shaken, some things that can be taken away, and some things cannot be taken away. So, when something gets taken away, do you focus on the hole in the donut? Or do you focus on the donut? Back at school, I used to tell kids all the time, in life, focus on the donut, not on the hole. They used to look at me and go, what? I said, think about what you have. Don't think about what you don't have. And so what do we have? We still have God. We still have the kingdom. 
We still have faith, hope, and love. So we focus on those things. So what I decided was, you may have already been thinking about it. I hope you were. I think a lot of you probably were. But I just thought, well, all right. I'm not really a writer, but all right. (laughs) And let's get focused on God. So that was the motivation, inspiration for let's look up. Every morning as the day starts, things are kind of scary out there. Let's look up. So let's think about, and I started thinking about, how does my day start? And I'll tell you just very quickly, normally how my day starts or used to start, in the morning time, well, the alarm doesn't go off. (laughs) Because most of the time, I'm awake before that alarm ever goes off because as the older you get, the less you sleep. <laughs> but I wake up and my normal routine was I roll over, look at the clock, and then I get up and I head for the kitchen, stumbling sometimes, hit that button on the coffee, get it going. Tucker needs to go outside. <laughs> so I put him out back. And I go get his food bowl and put it up, get the water, make sure he's got that. And then I go stand by the kitchen door and wait. (laughs) And a little bit, he comes back. And now normally around that time, the coffee's ready to go. I grab my laptop, I go sit down, and I look at the morning news. And here lately, it's been a little depressing, hasn't it? And I thought, there's got to be a better way to start. So I thought... Maybe we ought to look up. Before you look out, maybe you ought to look up. Because after I had realized my relationship with the Lord doesn't change, then maybe what I needed to do was to focus on that relationship. So I want to read to you from Romans. Romans, the 8th chapter. If I can keep the wind from blowing this around here. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will we not also with Him graciously give all things? Give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is, it, who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. What shall se- who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword... As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You got that? What's going to separate you? Paul says it can. Nothing in this world can separate you. Coronavirus? No coronavirus. 
That can't separate you. Your relationship is there. And it's permanent. If you want it to be there, it's there. And God is there. The only question is, are we? (laughs) Are you there? So in the midst of all of this, we think about what's permanent and what's lasting. And that relationship is there. Psalms 143 and verse 8. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have placed my trust in you. Show me the way that I should go. For to you I entrust my life. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Isn't that what you want to know? Every morning, Lord, we still together. Still me and you, Lord. And Lord says, yeah, I'm still here. I'm not going anyplace. You with me? As much as I don't really like to write, <laughs> I recall when I was in college, had this female professor, and there was one thing that she always stressed, and it stuck with me. She said, if you're going to write anything, whatever you're writing about, try to gain perspective. In other words, if you write from only your own understanding, then your writing is going to be pretty narrow. But if you get perspective for somebody else, it'll help you to understand. And actually, you'll be able to write better. And that kind of stuck with me. So as I thought about this, I thought, well, what do other writers, real writers, (laughs) think about this? And there was one female writer. And she said, the way I start my day, she said, each morning, I say, Lord, I don't know where you're going today, but wherever you're going, I'm coming with you. I thought, that's pretty good. Lord, wherever you're taking this day, I'm coming with you. There's an old saying, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Well, that's true for today, too. So, Lord, wherever you're going today, I'm coming with you. So the psalmist says, I entrust my life to you. Show me the way, Lord. And that's the attitude we ought to have. So in regards to that, I wanted to help people to remember who it is we're following. (laughs) If we're going with you, Lord, (laughs) then remember who we're following. So that's when I started writing about the names of God. You don't really get to know someone unless you know their name. I can't imagine someone saying to me, Hey, I want you to meet my best friend. And then I say to them, What's your best friend's name? And they go, Hmm. 
Not real sure about that one. <laughs> well, what does your best friend do? Not real sure about that one either. <laughs> and by about that time, I'd be saying, I don't think that's really your best friend. Because <laughs> normally, you're going to know a little more than what you know about this person. And so one of the ways in which we get to know God is through the names He uses. Well, in our English translations, predominantly what we see are three. We just see God, G-O-D, and we see Lord, L, capital L, small, O-R-D. And then if you watch close, which for a long time I didn't, (laughs) you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And what the English writers are trying to tell you, those are different Hebrew words. And until a number of years ago, I never really spent much time looking at that, but it's worth taking a look at. (laughs) And so in Genesis 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning God... In the beginning, Elohim. What does that mean? It means mighty creator. If he's my friend, what does he do? He is Elohim. He is the mighty creator. And so from that, just there, I learned something about him. And as I continue to read... I see six days that follow. And at the end of six days, he looks what he has done and he says it is good until he gets to the sixth day when he makes man and woman. And now he looks at all that he has made and he says it is very good. So now I know Elohim makes things that are good He makes things that are very good. But in the very next chapter, there's another name. And now something is added and it becomes a compound. It's Jehovah Elohim. And as I read there in Genesis, the second chapter, it's Jehovah Elohim who plants a garden. It's Jehovah Elohim who takes the man and puts him in the garden. It is Jehovah Elohim who tells the man, you could eat of any of the trees of the garden except for this one. Do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you you do, you will die. I know from other passages that Jehovah is that one who has essential life. Life is in him at the burning bush. I am that I am. That's Jehovah. And so from reading in Genesis 2, not only do I know that he is a mighty creator, he is also the one that gives moral instruction. He's my moral counselor. He's my moral guidance. Do not touch of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He's my true north. 
But I also learned later on, Genesis 15, Abraham refers to him as Lord. Now I see capital L, little o, little r, little d. This is Adonai. This is Master. And Abraham calls him Master. So now I know he's the creator. He's the one who has essential life. He's more my moral guidance. And he's my master. And as I have written even recently, I won't spend a lot of time on this, the relationship begins with the master. And the master watches out for his slave. And he provides for his slave. And he gives him guidance. And so the master cares about his slave. And the reason why the slave is so willing to give himself to the master is because he knows the master's heart. So those are the three, the big three, as we sometimes say. It's God and it's Lord and it's Lord. It's Elohim. It's Jehovah. It's Adonai. But as you look at those other names, and some of those that I had mentioned, Hagar, and I'm not going to go into that story, but Hagar is pregnant, being abused, and it gets to the point where she decides to flee. Here's a pregnant lady out in the desert without any provisions, without a plan, not knowing where to turn, where to go, and guess who shows up? He was always there. And he speaks to her. And he tells her she needs to go back, but he also tells her that you're going to give birth to a son, and from him will come a great nation also. And then she says, And now I know that you are the God who sees. And that name that is there in the Hebrew is Elroy, the God who sees me. So no matter what's going on, no matter where you are, God sees you. And then there's El Shema. It's the God who hears me so I can cry out to him. And sometimes it seems like situations get pretty big, pretty difficult, and then guess who is revealed? God Almighty. That's what God tells Abraham. Walk before me and be blameless because I am El Shaddai. I am God El Almighty. There's nothing too big for me. And then there's El. El means God. There is El Shelah. God my rock. Doesn't that make a difference in your life? When you know who God is, what He is capable of, and doesn't that give you a solid foundation for life? He's my rock. When you 
when you come to understand that, then he becomes Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah, Lord, my peace. Now I can find calm in the midst of the storm. And then I know that he's Jehovah Rophe. He's the God who heals me. Because without him, I'm just kind of broken. <laughs> and I'm all over the place. But with him, see, he gathers up the pieces, puts them back together. <laughs> and says, walk with me. I can heal you. I can take care of you. I can heal your life. And then I come to understand, just like Abraham did when he was just about to offer Isaac and God provides a ram, then he's Jehovah Yireh. He's the God who provides. And I come to understand he's Elohim Ehava. God who loves me. So he's always been there. And he always sees me. And he'll heal me. He'll provide for me. He just wants me to walk with him. Look to him. Be He, he will be the rock. And then the last one. <laughs> Peter. And that name is best known through the New Testament because that's the name that Jesus helped us to come to understand. Peter, Father. And when the disciples came and they asked Jesus, teach us to pray, how did he begin? Begin this way. Our Father, who art in heaven. See, the Jews had a little trouble with that. The Lord, the Master, the Father, that kind of intimate relationship with God, that's the kind of God that He is, that He wants an intimate relationship with us, and He will always be there, and He wants us to be with Him. And so every time, this is interesting, you can look this up sometime, I'll just mention it and let it go. The Gospel of Matthew, because we did the overview of Matthew here a while back. Every time Jesus addresses His Father in the Gospel of Matthew, in prayer, he addresses him as Father. Pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. Remember in the garden? Father, let this cup pass from me. On the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Here's the tough one. Every time, Jesus addresses him. He addresses him. As father. Except. One time. You remember when that is? Eloi. Eloi. 
Lama Sabachthani. It wasn't Father that time. It was my God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? He quotes from Psalms 22. But the answer is found in Psalms 22 also. And really, the more I look at that, I don't know that it's so much of a question as it is a declaration. Because in Psalms 22, he says, after that statement is made, he says, because thou art righteous. This is the way that it has to be. So my God, I understand. This is the way it has to be. Ezra and Nehemiah, this is it. The reason why I chose them is because they had been away for 70 years. <laughs> We've been away for, what, five weeks, six weeks, I forget what. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't celebrate those feast days. So did they still have a relationship? Well, I can tell you this. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem telling them, you're going into captivity for 70 years, and he's the prophet of God. God was there. Daniel was carried away in the very first wave. He was there. Ezekiel sat with them down by the rivers of Babylon. He was there. Isaiah prophesied of these times and told them that when they came back, it would be Cyrus who would bring them back. And guess who brought him back? It was Cyrus. So God was there all along. That relationship was there. They could have faith because God told them what was going to happen and told them when it would be over and who would deliver them. They could have hope because in Jeremiah 32, he says, this is when you're going to be brought back. And they could have love. Love for God, love for one another. And in Psalms 137, the psalmist is talking about that time while they're gone and how they cried by the rivers of Babylon. And at the same time, they said, Oh, if I ever, if I ever forget Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill I'd rather die I'd rather lose all my capabilities than forget what I had back when I was there and God said I'll restore you you just hang on it's coming and that's what he wanted him to do so that's what I wanted to think about situation we're in is not good but there are certain things that can be shaken and there are certain things that can't be shaken. God's always there. That relationship is available. 
And we should be going following him. <laughs> and then think about each other and how we can encourage one another during these kind of situations and circumstances. Is there anything good that comes out of the coronavirus? Well, <laughs> depends on who you talk to maybe, right? A lot of people say, no, there's no good coming out of coronavirus. Well, in a sense, there's a lot of bad, but there is something good. And it reminds us of those things which can't be shaken. 